welcome to Love Me Las Vegas. For Girls Girls Hoops with myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you. He's in the second segment. Greg Waddell, he does a great job over there with Sleepers Media along with a field of 68 is going to be joining me. He's a man that is out there in the great state of Michigan, so we're going to be talking about how they've been able to get things online a little bit more with their recent wins. We're going to be talking a lot about what we've seen with regards to the Big Ten, with regards to just those first few games and how we've seen sort of the middle of the Big Ten be able to rise up as well. Then we're going to be taking a look forward at some of these Thursday games. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this Thursday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And we've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNNRS41. Keep in mind, letters EM. Name does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a fun-filled day of basketball on Wednesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Xavier is looking very solid out there in the Big East, and the Big East in general has been looking relatively solid this year. 96-50, they take down Ball State, a Ball State team that, among teams that did not wind up opting out last season, has the best over 8 in all of college basketball. This one doesn't quite get there because they did not do their part on offense, shooting 29.7% from the floor with 20 turnovers. That's not a recipe for success, but what is, is Xavier shooting 12 of 25 from three-point range, including Nate Johnson, giving you 14 points. He wound up going 4-7 from distance, and Zach Fremantle is officially back off the bench. 24 points, 7 boards, and 4 assists. So, you'll love to see that if you're a fan of the good old X-Men. What else you love to see? It's a big comeback when you wind up back in a team on a tight line in Wisconsin. At one point down, 22 points. The number 22 team in all of college basketball, they get it done by kind of 64 to 59 now. I will be honest with you, I had a couple people ask me what Indiana was doing in the second half. I have no idea because Trace Jackson Davis, he really didn't rack up too many fouls. They completely went away from him in the second half. It was hilariously terrible as Indiana winds up going five of their first seven from three-point range and did not make a three the rest of the night. They missed a couple one-on-ones for your minus three and a half, minus four and minus four and a half to all be able to get to the window for Wisconsin. Johnny Davis looking like a stud. 23 points, nine boards. Tyler Wall, three blocks, seven points, 12 boards. And for Wisconsin, they win this game despite shooting 5 of 23 from 3-point range because they wind up getting 4 turnovers. Indiana, they had 9. So Wisconsin able to get it done there. If you're taking a look at the Big East, this one was a little bit of a tough one. UConn has been a little bit shorthanded and they were able to give West Virginia a run for their money, but in what was a very big slog, West Virginia gets a 56-53 win as UConn goes 3 of 21 from 3-point range as West Virginia loses the rebound battle by kind of 35-31, to but for West Virginia they won the turnover battle. 16 turnovers for UConn, 12 for West Virginia, and Taz Sherman along with Sean McNeil, they combined for 39 of the 56 West Virginia points. So they certainly did their part, and Gabe Obashoan along Polly Polycap off the bench for West Virginia, able to give the team 10 rebounds. Florida, after they wound up having their calamity against Texas Southern a few days ago, they got back online. They were able to get an 85-55 to win over North Florida. The Mighty Mighty Osprey have not been so mighty recently, so that was a little bit of a tough defeat for them. 
Penn State takes on a Wagner team that has been dealing with COVID-19. They wound up having to actually cancel a few of their games. That's still an angle that you want to be taking a look at. Obviously, we don't have as many teams going through this, but 74-54, to 54, you can tell that Wagner is just not themselves right now. This is actually a relatively solid team, but they went to a 14 from three-point range, and Penn State has been playing at one of the slowest tempos in all of college basketball, so I think that that's a pretty important note. If you wind up taking the money line with Stony Brook like I did, they wind up getting there. 79-62, to 62, they are able to take down the pride of Hofstra. For Officer, one of the best cover teams in all of college basketball in recent years, but 5 of 26 from three-point range. And for the Sea Wolves of Stony Brook, they were able to get a very nice performance out of their backcourt as he wound up having Julio Jenkins go off for 24 points. And then the duo of Takai Green along Tyler Stevenson Moore. They wind up combining for 23 points and 23 boards. So Stony Brook looking relatively solid out there in the Northeast Conference. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. We saw another under in a VCU game. 66-52. They're able to take to Jacksonville State. They've been playing at one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball. So that has been something that has been relatively hot this season. Buffalo is looking relatively odd. They wound up playing without Jonathan Williams, and it did not matter. 77-67 as Western Kentucky has been one of the early season disappointments among mid-major teams. You wound up having 18 points out of Davius McKnight, and really past that, nobody came to play as Buffalo wins the rebound battle by a count of 42-28. to And for Buffalo, this is a bunch of which they wound up being relatively bad at the free throw line in past years. And it's hard to be too bad when you wind up taking just four free throws. They went two of four, but... That's not going to cost you too much, especially when you go 13 of 33 from three-point range. Josh Mbala, 19 points, nine boards, and a block in this one as you also wound up being able to get 18 points and seven assists out of Ronaldo Segu. So that was very good for them. If you're taking a look at the Big 12, another nice win for TCU. 76-62, they wind up taking down Utah as Utah. Their offense has been very hit or miss, and they went three of 20 from three-point range. 21 of 25 at the free throw line, and they did wind up getting back Marco Anthony in this game coming off the bench. He did have six points, four boards, and you had 16 apiece out of Braden Carlson along with Booth Gotch. But for TCU, it's been a relatively so defensive team. They wind up committing just six turnovers in this one. And Mike Miles looking like a stud. 28 points, 8 boards, 4 assists. Right now, among teams that are not suspended for the postseason, it looks like every one of them out there in the Big 12 has a shot to be able to get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. Georgetown, they probably aren't, but they took it to UMBC after having some bad showings on their home floor earlier in the year. 171 the final as they went 13 of 23 from three. Caden Rice, the Citadel transfer, went 10 of 12 from three with 34 points. That's certainly going to get it done for Georgetown. They won the rebound battle. I'm not even kidding here. 61 to 30. Yeah, you're going to win some games when you wind up winning the rebound battle. 61 to 30. Can't remember the last time I saw a team get 61 boards in a 40-minute game, by the way. So that was rock solid out there in the Big Ten. You wound up having Ohio State get a win, but no cover against Towson by a count of 85 to 74. A Towson team that had given up 65 points or fewer in five out of their last six games. So they were playing solid defensively, but... Ohio State, they were just efficient. 10 of 23 from 3, 21 of 25 at the free throw line, 57.5% overall shooting. You did wind up having EJ Liddell give you 15 points, 7 boards, and for Towson, they look to be back with their three-point shooting. They wind up going 12 of 28 from three-point range. Jason Gibson winds up going four of eight from distance. A guy that they were missing for a few games, Antonio Rizzuto. He winds up coming in from Albany. He wound up having 10 points on three made threes. So Towson, all of a sudden, being able to get a little bit of offense going. BYU had a little bit of everything going on Wednesday. They wind up taking down Utah State by a count of 82 to 71 for BYU. 11-24 three-point shooting. Alex Barcelo was able to go for 17 points, four assists. So 
another good performance there. And for Utah State, it's a bunch of which they're shooting right around 39% from three-point range. And Justin Bean was able to give the team another good performance. 20 points, seven boards, three assists, three steals. But what costed them? 17 turnovers. So that was a little bit of a sore spot for them. What is a little bit of a sore spot for Kansas State, other than those bad uniforms that they were wearing, was the fact that they wound up not having Nigel Peck in their game against Marquette, and it showed. 64-63. to Marquette is able to get the outright win as Kansas State without their top three-point shooter. They go 6 of 25 from distance. Mike McGurl was able to give the team 6 points. He did wind up getting a double-double out of Marquise Noel. 11 points, 11 assists, and 8 rebounds. So he was able to do his part. But for Marquette, what they did was they were able to get 15 points out of a little bit of an unlikely source in Cameron Jones, a guy that had been averaging right around 7.5 this season. They also did a good job of not turning the ball over as well. 11 turnovers for Marquette. They actually wind up losing the rebound battle by a count of 41 to 40, but for Marquette they didn't really attempt a lot of free throws. They just wound up making their shots and they made life difficult for Kansas State as Kansas State winds up going 39% from the field. So Marquette barely able to get it done. Your biggest upset of the night was Ido, a team that was north of a 20-point underdog, closing anywhere between 22 and 22 and a half on their home floor, might I add. They pull away late from South Dakota State, 98 8 to 84. They just completely took it to him. You typically don't see upsets where the underdog wins is scoring 98 points, but for Ido, 13 of 24 from three. This is an Ido team that is still, I'll call it what it is, relatively so- sorry, but Mikey Dixon. 5 of 7 from 3, 7 of 11 from the floor. He's always open to giving you production. This is an Ido team that, by the way, they also covered on their home floor against Southern Utah. I've been backing them the last few times. Didn't have the stones to take the money line here, but 35 points for Mr. Dixon along with his 8 assists. You wound up also having 15 points, 8 assists, 7 boards out of Trevante Anderson. And for South Dakota State, they lose this game going 8 of 22 from 3-point range with Baylor Shireman putting up 22 points, 14 boards. So the Vandals were able to vandalize some bankrolls out there on Wednesday, Virginia Tech. They were able to get to the window as well. Cornell was 7-0 against the spread coming into this game, but Virginia Tech, they were just so gosh darn efficient. 93-60 to final for Virginia Tech. They go 12-23 from three-point range. They shot overall from the floor 54%, and they won the rebound battle by kind of 40-23 to as Cornell They've been relying upon up-tempo offense to be able to get the job done thus far this year. And they wind up going 8 of 26 from three-point range with 16 turnovers, so that was not necessarily ideal. This was very ideal if you want to take in Arizona. They take down my New York Post play of the day as I had Wyoming with the points and Arizona 94 to 65 for Wyoming. They go 8 of 25 from three-point range. They commit 14 turnovers, but this is really all about how efficient Arizona is. 11 of 28 from three, 38 of 72 from the floor. They're looking like a top-five team, in my opinion. If you Ben Matherin was able to give the team 24 points, 10 boards, 5 assists. You wound up having 3 different starters give out 5 assists as well. Kirk Carissa, along Dale and Terry were able to join in on the fun. Justin Kyer comes off the bench for 13 points and for Wyoming they wind up just not being able to turn over Arizona. 10 turnovers from Arizona as Arizona. 23 assists in this game as well. This offense has just been high powered and they showed that off. UNLV was able to get a nice win over Seattle as well. Staying out west, 76-56 was the finals. UNLV 11-27 for three-point range. They had been lacking with their three-point shooting. Michael Duga, who clearly wasn't right at the beginning of the year, he looked right in this one. 21 points, comes in off the bench for five of nine three-point shooting. He also doled out eight assists, and Royce Ham went ham on the glass. Seven points and 14 rebounds, so he was able to do a good job. And then on the West Coast as well, you wound up having San Francisco get a win but no cover against Fresno State by kind of 71-63. to 63. I think that this is just the second time all year that Fresno State had allowed more than 65 
five points in the game as Fresno State goes to three of 19 for three-point range. But the Dons, they wind up being able to have 27 points out of Jamari Boye. And then Yuan Mazliski was able to give the team 20 points as for the Dons. They wind up actually losing the rebound battle by kind of 37 to 33. But for Fresno State, 14 turnovers as well. That wound up being a little bit costly. But good news for them, Jamari Baker was able to come into this game. He came in off the bench. He should be a good performer for them moving forward. And then you wind up seeing a pair of big covers from Pac-12 teams. Cal was really able to take it to Idaho State. They wind up getting a 20-plus point win in that one for Cal. Certainly has been a strange year for them. They actually look a little bit better than advertised as in this one, you wind up having a double-double out of Grant Antisevich, so gotta give some credit there. They wind up being able to win the rebound battle in this game against Idaho State as well. And final minute is ticking down as I record this. Washington State just completely bludgeoned Weber State. They wind up being able to win this game by 25-plus for Washington State. They wind up going 13 of 22 from three-point range. You wind up having Michael Flowers and TJ Pamba wind up combining for 25 points in this one and for Weber State they were held down as they just wound up getting completely blasted on the glass Washington State won the rebound battle by 16 so that's what we wound up seeing in college basketball on Wednesday and we're not necessarily seeing any demonstrative trends when it comes to college basketball now in the last seven days we have seen a little bit of an uptick to the over and home underdogs have not been doing well in the last seven days, they are 24-36-2 against the spread. I fully expect this to turn around, but if you also look at the last seven days, you've got overs hitting at a rate of about 51.6%, according to covers, 132 overs to 124 unders. If you're looking at everything that we've seen this season, home underdogs against the spread are just 167, 165, and 8. They were very hot at the beginning of the year. I do think that this is going to be reversing itself a little bit with the recent cold run that we've been seeing. And overall for the season, if you're looking at totals, 702 unders and 690 overs. So the unders hitting at a rate of about 50.4%. So that's what we wound up seeing in college basketball on Wednesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Thursday. You've got my man Greg Waddell. He does a great job when it comes to Sleepers Media. He does a great job over there at the Field of 68. We're going to be talking about these games that we're going to be seeing on Thursday. Also going to be talking about the Big Ten as a whole as well. That is on the other side right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Decent Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. And we're back in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost to Ghost Soups with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guests as this man does a great job over there at Sleepers Media along with the Field of 68. We've got Greg Waddell on the podcast. So we're going out to the great state of Michigan. He's also doing some work now over there at Boston Brackets. Going to be talking some Big Ten and going to be taking a look forward to today's card. As to be able to follow Greg on Twitter, you are able to do so at GWizzy12. That is the letter G, W-I-Z-Z-Y, and then the number 12. And Greg, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, always great to be back, Greg. Thanks for having me. Great to have you aboard, and it is great that we've got some Big Ten action in our lives. We wound up having a few conference games the last few days, and what have you really made out of the first couple days of Big Ten action? We are doing this as we do not know the conclusion of Wisconsin versus Indiana, but we already do have a couple of games that wound up being played, and I know that a team that you follow very closely, Michigan, looks like they're getting back online. Yeah, I think the biggest thing so far that I've been impressed with has been Michigan and Illinois, who preseason were considered by by everyone to be serious contenders for a conference championship. They were really underwhelming over the course of the first three weeks of the season in the non-conference. And I think there's a variety of reasons why. I think Andre Curbelo did not live up to expectations. And obviously he's been out for a couple games now. Hope he can come back healthy soon because I think they're starting to really find things without him. And Michigan just had so many new faces. I think it sort of took them a while to figure out what everybody's role was. But, you know, if you would have asked me a week ago if those teams were serious contenders in the Big Ten race at all, I still would have said no. But just in the last week, off seeing a little bit of growth and a little bit of development from both sides, I think it's safe to say they will be factors in that race, if not favorites, as they may have been preseason, because nobody looks close to what we're seeing in Purdue right now, in my opinion. They're still going to be top four teams like many had projected before the season had started, which is great to see for the health of the conference, quite frankly. This is a year where you really need your most talented teams to live up to expectations. And I think Michigan and Illinois are finding a little bit closer toward what they were expected to be at this point. I agree with you. I do think that Illinois and Michigan are still going to be in for relatively solid years. But when I take a look at the Big Ten, I do feel like we sort of had that upper tier going into the year. It was really Michigan versus Purdue, which team would be number one. I think that as of right now, obviously it could change, but Purdue certainly looking like the number one. But now it feels a little bit more jumbled. Even though they wound up taking the loss, Iowa has certainly been able to form themselves as a relatively solid school. I personally was bearish on Wisconsin coming into the year, and I have been mightily surprised by them. Minnesota has been able to look relatively solid. I feel like a couple of people were writing off Michigan State a little bit too soon, but as we know, a Tom Izzo coach team is never one that you can wind up counting out, and I've just been impressed in general by the depth of the Big Ten because I feel like Purdue is right now that clear number one, but now the race for number two is much more competitive than I thought it was going to be coming into the year. Yeah, 100%. I think you're right. The middle of the pack of the Big Ten to me has shocked me as a guy who follows the Big Ten very closely. I think preseason, I was adamant that this would be a top-heavy conference, and then the middle would really struggle to make the NCAA tournament, honestly. I thought 
anything over six was going to be dicey. And honestly, I was down on Maryland. And that was part of why I saw the middle of this conference not being very strong. And, you know, that has seemed to come true. The wheels have fallen off Maryland a little bit with Mark Turgeon's exit. But all of those teams you just mentioned are way further along than I thought they would be. That goes for really Wisconsin being the first that jumps out with the way Jonathan Davis is playing. You know, you can't count them out of any game in Big Ten play right now. He's an all-conference, first-team type of guy. You know, Iowa has really impressed me, even in the non-conference. They're 0-2 in conference play, but I think that's a scheduling 0-2 thing right now. They lost to Purdue, and they ended up making a furious comeback to cut that to a two-possession game at Purdue at Mackey Arena, and then a very back and forth game with Illinois. They just didn't get it done down the stretch. So I would not be surprised if Iowa sort of works their way back up the rankings over the next couple of weeks. Like you said, Minnesota was supposed to be just a debacle. They haven't lost. They've got Michigan State coming to the barn, so we'll see what happens there. Ohio State going toe-to-toe with Duke in the non-conference and knocking them out. It's really starting to feel like this is a typical Big Ten where you might have eight, nine teams who feel like they're worthy of an NCAA tournament bid by the time conference play wraps up. I'm in total agreement with you there. I think that this is going to be a really competitive conference. You mentioned it with Maryland. I'm pretty bearish on them as well. With Danny Manning being the coach of the team. Oh boy, I don't think that things are necessarily going to be going well for them as we do have Craig Waddell joining me on the podcast. And we do have one Big Ten matchup that is going to be going down. We've got another one that involves a non-conference matchup. But how about if we go with this Purdue versus Rutgers game? Because right now we're finding Purdue... As we're recording this right around an 11.5 point road favorite, you typically don't find that very often in the Big Ten, but I think it's justified. Purdue is looking like the best team in all of college basketball with Rutgers. They were able to get that win over Clemson at home, but man, this is a team that, shall I say, I had a little bit more expectations for. I didn't think that they were going to be a top 25 team or anything like that, but losing to the likes of Lafayette on their home court, something I didn't see coming. Yeah, no, I didn't either. And I think it's kind of hard to project Rutgers, at least over the last two seasons, because you never really think too much of Rutgers just with where they've been at as a program. Again, maybe I'm throwing some Big Ten slander their way from a Michigander here, but (laughs) last year was really the year that it's like, okay, we have to take Rutgers seriously. And I think with Geo Baker and Ron Harper back, it was reasonable to expect some level of stability returning. But at the same time, they lost Jacob Young. They lost their center. They didn't really necessarily replace either of those guys with high quality options, in my opinion. So I'm not shocked to see Rutgers struggling. They did get a win at home against Clemson in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. I don't know that that necessarily says a ton about Rutgers as much as it might about Clemson. (laughs) But I'm interested to hear your thoughts with this Purdue matchup because to me, Purdue's the best team in the country. I just did a little bit on that on my podcast last night. We had Rafael Davis, former Purdue player who's been behind the scenes at Purdue practices, just coming on and telling us how competitive it is, how much these guys play for each other. And I've been wildly impressed with them. So when I see a line of 11, and a half against a Rutgers team that I really think is struggling right now. My initial gut feel is let's take Purdue, but then I start to remember this is at the rack and weird things happen at the rack. So what do you make of this line? I can tell you right now, being someone that grew up in the state of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Badgers house of horrors is the rack. So there is that. And Purdue has always been a team that they've struggled a little bit more on the road, but it just feels like a different Purdue team because with Rutgers, you really don't have a lot of outside shooting. Geo Baker has been a little bit banged up this year. I set the line at 13 and a half myself. I think that this total is low. I'm seeing it right now 
right in the neighborhood of about a 138. I'm sure that there's going to be a little bit of movement by the time this winds up coming out, seeing a couple 138 and a halfs. But, I mean, Purdue is just an unstoppable force when it comes to their offense. They don't necessarily play fast, but they're so efficient. They're playing against a Rutgers team that they themselves always play a little bit more slow and controlled. But I'm very curious to see what winds up happening if Purdue winds up getting out to a double-digit lead, which I think is going to because that's going to put Rutgers in a little bit of desperation mode. And I think from there, things could really spiral out of control. Yeah, I agree with you. I just don't think Rutgers is going to have the answers inside. I mean, that's the best front court in the country with Travion Williams, with Zach Eady. And I think Ron Harper Jr. is going to have to put together a special performance. But man, I mean, in that blowout loss to Illinois, Harper could not have been worse. He was one for nine from the floor. I don't trust this team. I think they're a little low on depth. I think they're a little low on high-end talent. And you don't want to face the Purdue front court if you don't feel good about your front court. No, not at all. And when Jaden Ivey is shooting threes and being able to hit them the way that he has been recently, good luck as we've got Craig Waddell joining me on the podcast. And then we've got another Big Ten team that is going to be in action on Thursday. This is the battle for the Hawkeye State as Iowa is playing against Iowa State. A little bit surprised that Iowa State is finding themselves as a three and a half point underdog with your total 151. With Iowa State, I do think that how they've come out this year is maybe them playing over their heads a little bit, but I mean, with them being at home in this spot, I like what I've seen out of Iowa, but with that said, I think that Iowa State, with their defense-oriented approach, I think that T.J. Altsberger is doing a good job. I think at minimum, they wind up hanging within the number. I don't know how you wind up seeing this one, but I do think that Iowa State is going to be able to win a little bit of a strength-on-strength battle because Iowa State has done a great job of being a forced turnovers. Iowa has been terrific at not turning the ball. We're actually number one in the country in fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis, but I think it's going to be really interesting because if you think it's going to be a higher-scoring game, that favors Iowa. If you think it's going to be slow, Lower, that favors Iowa State. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you here. My initial read on this was I was shocked that Iowa is favored. I thought, if anything, this might be a pick 'em or Iowa State would be favored by a bucket at home. Iowa State's impressed me. I haven't seen a ton of them, but I've flipped on in the middle of like two or three of their games. And I've obviously read the box scores and just followed their path to an 8 0 start right now. And I didn't see that coming at all. I mean, I had this team written off as an afterthought in the Big 12. I have to take them seriously right now. I think from a betting perspective, which I know I'm talking to the man, the myth, the legend from a betting perspective here, <laughs> uh, I, I think this is a stay away for me just because from a motivational standpoint, it's a rivalry game. That's always dicey. But two, I think this is an Iowa team who's pretty desperate for a win after 0-2 start in Big Ten play. And I think this is an Iowa State team who, sitting at 8-0, while it's an impressive 8-0, it's also an 8-0 that included wins at home against Oregon State, who is just a disaster right now. The big road win against Memphis, which is a disaster right now. I question how much of their start is due to some luck on the scheduling side. I almost would be more confident in taking Iowa State here if they were like six and two and I knew they were going to be dialed in on this game. I worry a little bit that they might be feeling themselves a little much here. Yep, I've got a buddy over there at the Vegas Ads and Information Network, Wes Reynolds. He always calls it the fat and happy approach when it comes to some of these teams. You wind up getting ranked. These teams are feeling their oats a little bit. So I certainly hear what you're saying there. I do think that it is just so interesting that Iowa has been so efficient with the ball as well. And having Keegan Murray out there, he has been the biggest surprise, in my opinion, in all of college basketball, just from a sheer player standpoint. Obviously, we can talk about teams, but when it comes to just players and players alone, Keegan Murray has really come out of nowhere. I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain 24 points, eight boards, two and a half blocks per game, but 
I've been watching him this year, and I have been amazed that he didn't wind up getting more minutes last year. Yeah, seriously. Let me go on record and say that I am waving the flag for Keegan Murray, first-team All-American. I think he's the best player in the Big Ten, and I know that sounds crazy when you've got a conference with Kofi Coburn and all of the Purdue guys. I mean, you mentioned Jaden Ivey, Travion Williams, first-team preseason. You've got Hunter Dickinson, EJ Liddell. Like this, this conference Johnny is Davis. loaded. Yeah, this conference is loaded. And if I had to take one guy, give me Keegan Murray. I think what he's doing offensively is so absurd right now. Like there's a real chance this man could be a 50-40-90 guy on like 24 points per game while also just being such an elite, versatile defender who's getting blocks and steals at a ridiculous rate, who can switch on the bigs, he can switch on the guards. I'm just so impressed with him. And I'll be honest, as much as I'm trying to praise Iowa here and say, like, I think they're better than their 0-2 start in the Big Ten, I think I might lean their way in this rivalry game. I don't think Iowa's roster is very good other than Keegan Murray. That's my belief that he is so good that is elevating them in my mind. I can't believe more people aren't talking about him, to be honest with you. And I hope that by the time the season ends, he gets to pick up some hardware if he keeps this up. Well, he's probably going to already be picking up some hardware because Jordan Bohannon has been in school for so long. He might need to get him a walker by the end of the season. But yeah, that's how we do have Greg Waddell joining me on the podcast. And Greg, we just take a look at everything that we've got for Thursday. We've run through a couple games. Is there another game or two that might be standing out for you? Obviously, Smaller slate, but I do think that we've got a couple fascinating games. No, honestly, the biggest one that I had my eye on was the Iowa-Iowa State game. I think Texas-Seton Hall is going to be fascinating. I haven't been overly impressed with Texas, and really the only true major test they've had so far was Gonzaga. I've sort of flipped on other games of theirs. like They were back and forth with Northern Colorado. They didn't necessarily blow out Sam Houston. They've just been fine, and their schedules allowed them to be fine. But now here they go on the road to the Prudential Center to a Seton Hall team that I think is just up for the challenge in big games. You saw them knock off Michigan on the road earlier this season. They went toe-to-toe with Ohio State. I think this is going to be a highly entertaining game. I think it's going to be a bit of a dogfight. And I'm very curious to see how Texas, especially their new faces, a guy like Marcus Carr, How is he going to respond in this setting? Because Carr's been pretty bad, honestly, and it's been okay. They've been able to survive that. I don't think Texas goes in and gets a big road win without a really good game from Marcus Carr tomorrow night. So I've got my eye on that to see how he performs. I've got my eye on that game as well. I personally set Seton Hall as a little bit of a favorite in that game right now, seeing Texas laying two. So I'm going to be taking a look at Seton Hall and something else I'm taking a look at. All the great, all the great work that you're doing, Greg. You and Carter Elliott, another good friend of this podcast, are doing a great job over there at Sleepers Media. I know you guys are doing terrific work when it comes to the field of 68 as well. So love the good people at home. Know they're able to follow along on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah, thank you, man. Subscribe to Sleepers Media on YouTube. You can get all of our video content. As I mentioned, we just dropped a Purdue heavy episode with Rafael Davis. We're going to have an episode dropping next week with Zed Key from Ohio State. So check that out. You can follow me at GWizzy12 on Twitter, at Sleepers Media on Twitter. And as you mentioned, we are frequently participating in the Field of 68's After Dark series. They do great shows every single night, breaking down the action from that day's slate of games. Please check us out, Greg. Always a pleasure to join you on your show. Always great to be able to get the gentlemen of Sleepers Media on the podcast. Greg and Carter are doing absolutely amazing work. And interestingly enough, Carter is a Michigan State fan who we had on today. Greg is a Michigan fan, and I'm a man from the great state of Wisconsin. So we've got <laughs> a great blend of just a Big Ten tree 
going on right now. And Greg, just doing absolutely terrific work and has been doing really good with parlays as well. Something I don't dive into, but when you're able to make money, you know what? That's all that matters. And Greg has been able to dial it in and he dialed it in today. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now powered by now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time podcast. Thank you, Sign Turtle, on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some big shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. With myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it's great to be able to get Greg Waddell on the podcast. Doing great work over there with Sleepers Media, also doing tremendous work over there at the Field of 68 as well, and much like myself, a native of the Midwest. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the college basketball betting board for this Thursday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JRNSquarty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas or order. reason why we went going in Las Vegas rotation order is because this is a way that a lot of the books and a lot of apps wind up ordering their games. And this is pretty much in time order with regards to the main games. And then you wind up having the extra games. These involve teams that are from like the Patriot League. The SWAC list goes on and on. So that's why we do it this way. But we are going to be beginning with this first game of 851-852. Texas is back to being a favorite as they hit the road against Seton Hall. Seton Hall find themselves a two-point underdog. And your total on this game, you're getting it at a 135.5. When it comes to the spot, I wound up setting Seton Hall as the two-point favorite. When it comes to Seton Hall, I really do like the backcourt of this team. Jared Roden has been absolutely tremendous for this bunch. He's been leading the way with scoring, does a nice job down 
Alamo as well. And he's going to be facing off against the Texas team that it was mentioned by Greg. Marcus Carr, not necessarily a guy that's impressing me too much. He's been able to give the team right around nine points per game, shooting 35% from three. Now, as a collective, Texas doing a great job of ball hawking. Ten steals per game, getting 39.5% three-point shooting. But other than that Gonzaga game, who has Texas really played? Northern Colorado, UT Rio Grande Valley, you played Sam Houston State. list goes on and on. With Seton Hall, they played already against Michigan, Ohio State, Cal is not necessarily that good, but still, they played a little bit of better competition, in my opinion. And when it comes to the Seton Hall team, what I like for them is the versatility of Kadari Richmond. Richmond has been able to come in, and he's been able to do a solid job. Right around seven points, four and a half boards, four assists. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter, but shoots at right around 33.5% from three-point range, and then you've got Ike Obiagu. Three blocks per game. He has been absolutely tremendous getting actually more blocks than points or rebounds per game. Now, you do take a look at Texas, and I do like what you're getting out of Timmy Allen. 13 and a half points, five and a half boards, has good versatility. You've got a guy in Trey Mitchell who's six foot nine. He's been able to bury right around 40% of his threes. And you take a look at Texas, each other top five scores are all shooting at least 50% from three. What comes up must come down. I think that Seton is going to be able to do a good job of guarding the arc. I think both teams are going to be able to force each other into some turnovers. I think that Chris Beard is starting to get the defense locked in, but Seton they've been locked in on defense as well. So I take a look at the spot, set it at a 134. I think that you're going to get a very tight game, but in the end, I think that Seton Hall going to be able to pull it out. Taking Seton Hall on the money line made them a two-point favorite and taking this total under. 853, 854 on the banging board. Purdue is going to be hitting the road to face off against Rutgers. Rutgers is an 11.5 point home underdog and your total on this game is anywhere between 138.5 and seeing this climb up a little bit to a 139.5. I think that the right move is being made on the total. I want to sing this at a 145.5. Purdue number one team in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. They're not a team that they go out and gun it. They're not a team that is going to get out of control or anything like that. They're just so gosh darn efficient. You just take a look at this team. And when Jaden Ivey is sparing threes, good luck. He's been able to give the team 16 points, three and a half assists, five boards, shooting 40% from three with a steal and a half per game. And then down low, you've got the big men. Zach Eady, who's just won the Giants of the Earth. He and Travion Williams, they're combining for 28 points, darn near 15 rebounds per game. You're able to get two blocks per game. These guys have been tremendous. As a collective, Purdue shooting 44% from three, 75.5% free throw line, 53% from the floor. Now, one thing that can be a little bit of a bugaboo for them is turnovers. Rutgers is able to do an okay job of being able to generate steals, but they've been dealing with an injury to Geo Baker recently. He has not played the last three games. It sounds like if he does wind up playing in this game, it's going to be in a very limited capacity, so that's not great for them. They're going to need someone like an Andre Hyatt to be able to step up. He's a 6'6 combo player, only giving the team 6.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game as a collective Rutgers shooting 27.5% from three, 66% the free throw line. Now, it was mentioned by Greg, and being someone that grew up in the state of Wisconsin, I know this, that the rack can sometimes be a house of horrors for a lot of teams, but I mean, just take a look at this Rutgers bunch, and I just don't know where this production is going to be coming from. Jaden Jones has been able to get some starts as a freshman. He's given the team right around 6.5 points per game, but I mean, aside from Ron Harper Jr., has been able to give the team 15 points, 8.5 boards. It's been a lot of disappointments. Cliff Amarui, I don't think, has a chance down low. Has been able to give the team 7.5 boards per game, but he's not giving you any blocks either, so I take a look at this spot. I think that Purdue is going to be able to have their way. I think that they're going to be very efficient on offense once again. Set this total at 145.5 going under. Willing to lay up to 13.5 here with Purdue still laying the points. 855, 856 on the banging board. You've got Detroit hitting the road face off against Kent State. Golden Flashes. And we're between 5.5 and 6 point favorites. And your total on this game is between 139 and 139.5. Now I know that some people might sour a little bit after Kent State wound up losing at home to Towson a couple days ago, but I'm going to be backing them once again. Set them as a 10.5 point favorite. You take a look at Towson and they just could not miss from 3 point range in 
that game. There was some very heavily contested shots that just wound up going down for them. And when you take a look at this Detroit team, you've got Antoine Davis and you really don't have much else. Davis has been tremendous. 22.5 points, right around 4.5 assists per game, a seal and a half per contest, shooting 38.5% per three and 97% the free throw line. For some reason, Detroit has throttled down. I think that this is because they just have a lack of depth in general. They're currently in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. You've had one guy be able to step up, and he's been able to get the team right around 15 and a half points, eight boards, and Madhu Asic. He's been able to do a nice job down low. Winds up coming in from South Florida, but you need a little bit more out of some of these other transfers as well. DJ Harvey has been out for darn near half the year, and when he's been out there, he's given the team absolutely nothing. Kevin McAdoo, right around nine points per game, shooting 35% per three as a collective. Detroit does shoot right around 77 percent free throw line, 35 percent from three, but they don't do the world's greatest job of being able to take care of the ball. And Sincere Carey, I sincerely think, is going to be the best floor general out there on the floor. 16 points, five boards, five and a half assists, shooting 41 percent from three, 92 percent the free throw line. You take a look at Kent State, each other top four scorers are shooting all at least 80 percent the free throw line as a collective. They shoot 82 percent. That's in the top five in all of college basketball. Giovanni Santiago, they will give you 10 and a half points per game. He's bearing 46 percent of his three. Even Travel Beck, they will give you six and a half points while shooting 40 percent from three. And then you've had down low Justin Hamilton be able to give you five and a half boards as a six foot eleven combo player. I do think that Kent State is starting to find a little bit of depth as well with someone like a DJ Johnson, someone like Jalen Sullinger, both of these guys coming off the bench, being able to give you a combined about nine and a half points between those two guys. Sullinger shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. And I think that Kent State just has a more complete team in this spot. I do think that you wind up seeing some late game following, but with the lack of depth of Detroit, they have really slowed things down. They've been a little bit more efficient on defense to their credit. So, do wind up saying this total at 136.5, so I'm going to be diving under. But second state is a 10.5 point favorite, so I'm going to be laying the points here. 857, 858 on the bang board. St. John's is going to be playing on some Monmouth. Monmouth is a 9 point underdog. Seeing a straight 8 out there as well. Want to be jumping on that because Jordan's game is anywhere between a 150 and a half. I'm seeing as high as a 152 as well. And I want to say in this out of 156 and a half. I like all these numbers over because when it comes to Monmouth, it's a bunch of which I haven't necessarily been playing at a breakneck base. But last year, we know that they wound up doing so. I think that that's going to be reined in a little bit more. And there's a team on the other side in St. John's that is gunning it. They are in the top 15 with regards to possessions per game. They are taking no prisoners at this point. You've got Julian Chepenny and Posh Alexander combining for 30 seven points, ten and a half boards per game. Both of these guys are giving you two plus steals per game. Alexander, six assists per contest. You've got Champetti shooting 40% from three. St. John's as a collective, shooting 35% from distance. Now, they do turn the ball over nearly 16 times per game. They also generate ten steals per game. You've got a mama theme that is headlined by George Pappas giving you 17 and a half points, six and a half boards, two and a half assists. He's been shooting 44% from three. And mama 13 that they turn the ball over a little bit. 13 turnovers per game, but as a collective, they're shooting 39% from three. Each other top three scores are shooting at I kid you not. 88.5% at the free throw line with Shafar Reynolds coming in from Seton Hall, giving you 16 points per game. He has been rock solid, but this is a team I think is going to get a little bit bludgeoned down the glass. You've actually got the brother of Wes Miller, Walker Miller on this team. 14.5 points, 7 boards. He's come in from UNC. He's been great. And aside from really your top four scores for Monmouth, though, you've got a lack of depth with this team. They've been able with a little bit of an ailment to Nikai Ruddy. He wanted coming back a few nights ago and looked relatively solid, but did not wind up scoring in that game against Kane. 
Nisha. So I question if he's at 100% at this point. And I do think that St. John's, after they wound up taking that loss to Kansas, they're going to be up for this game. I wound up saying St. John's as a 12-point favorite. I think that they're going to dictate the tempo. So I set this out on 156.5 as well. So laying the points and taking the over. 859-860 on the betting board. Denver is going to be in the road to face off against New Mexico. New Mexico finds themselves a 12-point favorite with your total on this game. And between 147 and 147.5. I wound up saying my total at 147.5. So I'm looking at a 147 over Denver is a team that has been playing a little bit more slow and controlled and ever since Richard Pitino has come in to this New Mexico program, they have been gunning it. They are in the top 25 with regards to possessions per game. So we're seeing a lot of efficient and fast offenses. They're going to be taking the floor on Thursday, but what you like about New Mexico is that they're getting healthier and healthier as things wind up going along. Shaquan Singleton wound up missing the first couple games of the season. He's come back. He's been able to give the team a little bit of something shooting 33% from three, but New Mexico as a collective, they're shooting 38% from three, 74.9% at the free throw line. Headlined by Jalen House and Jamal Mashburn Jr. These two guys are combined for right around 39 points per game. It has been masterful to watch these guys this season. House is able to give you four and a half assists and two steals per game as well. Mashburn Jr. is able to shoot four from three-point range. After that, you do have a little bit of a fall-off, but Taron Todd has been able to give you seven and a half points as a transfer from TCU. He's generating nearly a steal and a half per game. You do have Jethro Muscatin, who winds up coming in from Kansas, nine points, five boards. He's been relatively solid down low. Then you take a look at the flip side for Denver, and you just have nothing with regards to the post for this team. 4.3 rebounds per game is what Peyton Moore is getting at. Right now, he's leading the way. That is not great. Now, Mikey Ann is 6'8". He's giving the team 11 and a half points, three and a half boards, shooting 39 and a half percent from three, so he's been rock solid there. And Denver as a collective, shoots 35% per three. Problem for them, turnovers. 14 turnovers per game when you wind up playing at a slow and controlled pace. That is not necessarily great. Now, you do have someone in Mr. KJ Hunt who's been able to give the team 16 points, three and a half assists per game. He's been able to do a nice job, but I did take a look at this Denver bunch. I think that they're going to have some problems on the glass. I think that New Mexico is going to be able to get second and third chances. They're pretty efficient to start out with, and you've seen a big fall for Taylor Gatlin. Last year, while he was at Denver, he was rock solid. He was a starter that was able to give the team right around five and a half points per game. That's down to three points per game after shooting 45% for three last year, 21%. So clearly not a great Denver team. Said New Mexico is a 15-point favorite. I really like what I've seen out of this team. Said this one at 147.5. At the 147.5, I would still lean a little bit more to the over. Certainly like the 147 a little bit more, but we're taking a look at that over pretty much 148 or higher than I'd be starting to take a look at the under and won't lay up to 15 here with New Mexico. 861-862 is a New York post play of the day. Iowa hits the road to face off against Iowa State. The Cyclones find themselves as a three-point underdog, and your total on this game is 151, seeing a lot of three and a half now pop as well, and I said Iowa State is a five-point favorite, so I'm going to be taking Iowa State on the money line, but the New York Post play is actually going to be the total of the under. I was a little bit surprised that this wound up taking out with Iowa being about a three to three and a half point favorite. Had I known that, I probably would have reversed it a little bit, but still, I like both of these. I like Iowa State on the money line, and I do like the under when it comes to the under. I do think that Iowa State is going to be able to control the tempo of this game, which is also why I do like them outright, just because with Iowa State, they are sixth in the country in points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they're in the top 10 with regards to turnovers for us on a per-possession basis. Now, Iowa is the number one team in the country at being able to take care of the ball. 7.9 turnovers per game. They're committing a turnover on right around 10.7% of their possessions. No other team fewer than 11.9%, but with that said, you've really got Keegan Murray and Patrick McCaffrey, I think, needs a little bit of credit as well. McCaffrey, 12 points per game with Murray, 24 points, 8 boards, 2.5 blocks per game, but outside of that, it's been a little bit rough. His brother, Chris Murray, is able to do a solid job. Right around 11.5 points per game, you've got an 
Iowa team that shooting 37.5% from 378.5% the free throw line, but Iowa has always been a team that has been much more comfortable at home than on the road. I think that Hilton Magic is going to be out in this game as well. You've got an Iowa State team that they've been able to shoot about 35.5% from three. You've got out of your top six scores, four of them shooting at least 39.5% from three-point range. You're credit now. Depth is a little bit of an issue for the team, but you've been able to have someone like a Tristan Anuera, who's been able to step up with right around six points per game. Caleb Grill has come over with TJ Otzenberger, give the team seven and a half points per game. But the guy that we've got to be talking about, star freshman Therese Hunter. This guy just fills up the stat sheet. Comes over from Racine, Wisconsin, 11 and a half points, five and a half assists, three seals per game. And I was talking to some recruiting experts in the offseason. They were all saying, do not sleep on Tyrese Hunter. And he has really been able to come through. But how about Isaiah Brockington and Gabe Kelsher as well? Combining for 28 points per game. Brockington, seven and a half boards per game, shooting 44 percent from three-point range. I do think that Iowa State is going to be able to get their tempo. I think that TJ Altsberger has done a good job of being able to instill some Midwest toughness, which is why I did wind up setting Iowa State as the favorite in the spot. So I'm taking a look at them on the money line and the New York Post play of the day. I think Iowa State winds up slowing down Iowa. Set this one on 147. So New York Post play of the day is the under, and I'm also taking Iowa State on the money line. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before I hit the extra games. 863-864 Arizona State is going to be playing with the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is a four and a half point underdog, and you're told on game. It is 130. I said Arizona State as a four-point favorite. On a neutral court, I have these teams relatively equal. So here at four and a half, I'm going to be taking the points with Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is a bunch of very nearly knocked off Arizona State. I believe it was last year as well. This is a very good Grand Canyon team. And they've got, actually ironically enough, a couple players that last year we're on the Arizona State roster as you've got Holland, a.k.a. Boo Boo Woods being able to give the team 13.5 points, 3 assists. He's been doing a nice job with regards to efficiency, shooting 41% from 3, and as a collective, Grand Canyon, shooting 36.5% from 3. Now, if you've got one red flag when it comes to Grand Canyon, 64% free throw shooting. Now, it's not necessarily too terrific, but Gabe McLaughlin I think he's going to be able to do a good job down low. 10.7 boards per game, Arizona State. They clearly do miss Marcus Bagley, who's been out for 6 games already this year. Jay Heath has been able to come in, and he's been shooting 48% from three. As a collective, though, Arizona State, they shoot 64% the free throw line and 30% from three-point range. DJ turned it up horn, 13 points. He's been relatively rock solid. Hit that big three against Oregon to be able to force the game to overtime, and eventually the team would be able to win it, but Luther Muhammad is someone I was expecting more from. He's been able to give the team eight points, seal and a half per game. You've got a good on-ball defender in Jalen Graham, but his offense is a little bit of a work in progress, right around six points and a block per game for the six-foot-nine combo player, but when it comes to Grand Canyon. I think what else is going to be key? How about what you've been able to get out of Javon Blackshear? 16 points per game. A guy that's bearing 43% of his threes. Giving out four assists, two steals per game to only about 1.2 turnovers per game. I think that this is going to be a game in which we also wind up seeing Tayshawn Cherry be able to step up as well. Been a little bit banged up, but he comes over from Arizona State. Has been able to get the team double figures in two out of the last three games. So, set Arizona State as a four-point favorite. So, here at the four and a half. I'm taking the points with Grand Canyon. I do think that you wind up getting some late game following. I do think that things are going to wind up picking up a little bit offensively for Arizona State. So I did wind up setting the total at 134 as well. So taking the over and taking the points with Grand Canyon. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today. So we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. This begins with 306-092-306-092. Bethune-Cookman is going to be in the red face off against NC State. NC State is a 26-point favorite with your total on this game, 138.5. I said 
Memphis sold out 144. You've got an NC State team that ranks in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game. Bethune-Cookman has been playing a little bit more control, but we have seen them oblige whenever a team winds up kicking up the tempo a little bit. And what I like for Bethune-Cookman, sharpshooter Joe French, 16 points, 3.5 boards per game. He wound up transferring to Florida Atlantic last year, but the gentleman did not wind up playing at all. He was with Bethune-Cookman during the 2019-20 season, decided to come back, and during that season, he was able to shoot 43.5% from three, 95% the free throw line. This year, he's been duplicating that in more volume with 41% three-point shooting and right around 88% free throw shooting. Then you take a look at NC State. This is really Deron Sebron and not much else. He's been able to give the team 20.5 points, 10.5 boards, three assists, two and a half steals per game, shooting 8.3% from three-point range. That's a little bit of an issue, but you do take a look at NC State, and then without Manny Bates, while it's been a little bit of a hot mess, they have been able to find a little bit of something down low, as Ebenezer Duwana has been able to give the team right around four and a half boards, four points per game, and you do have Jericho Holmes being able to give you 15 and a half points per game. He's bumping him in there from three, shooting 39% from three. Casey Marcel also shooting 39% from three. He and Cam Ace both giving you 12 and a half points per game, but you don't have a lot down low when it comes to the team now. To NC State's credit, in regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, they rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball, but I do think that Bethune-Cookman is going to be able to do just enough down low when it comes to this team. It's been a little bit of mixing and shaking ever since Kevin Davis wound up playing just one game for the team against South Florida, but you've got Marcus Garrett, who's able to give you right around 9.5 points per game. Down low, you've got the same use of State transfer into Robertson. He's six foot nine, right around like 265. He's been able to give the team five boards per game, and you've got a Bethune-Cookman team that they themselves have been able to generate right around eight steals per game. I do think that they're going to be able to help crank things up a tad bit more in this game. Set this total at 144. I'm looking over. And with NC State, I think that they should be able to win this game quite comfortably, but could only make them a 25-point favorite. So, taking 26 with Bethune-Cookman and the over 306-093, 306-094. William and Mary. You don't just get William. You don't just get Mary. But you have to lay four points if you wind up backing a winless team against Hampton. Hampton is a road team, and your total on this game is 135, and I can only make William and Mary a three-point favorite. I think that these teams are pretty stinking equal on a new court, and that's saying something, because Hampton has not been having a good year thus far this year, so that is not necessarily what you want to be hearing if you're a fan of William & Mary when it comes to the nation's best tag team in college basketball. It has not been going well with regards to maintaining the ball. 17 and a half turnovers per game. They shoot 29% from three, 66.7% at the free throw line. You've got a pair of guys in Ben White along Connor Kachera who have both been able to give you 11 and a half points per game. So they've been able to do something there. You've been able to get White be able to give you right around six rebounds per game. But I mean, this team is so sloppy. Quinn Blair has been out of the fold for quite a while for this team. Has returned in that game against Old Dominion, but he didn't look like himself at 21 minutes. Wound up having three points overall for the season. Aside from that game, he's been averaging more like 11 points per game. And then you take a look at Hampton, and Najee Garvin has been able to do a terrific job down low for this team. 15 points right around six points per game. Has been trying to shoot threes. Hasn't necessarily had a lot of success with them, shooting about 22% from distance. This has limited the minutes of DeJure Dickens as well, a guy that wound up having three blocks per game. So I do feel like the team has been a little bit more inefficient with him off the floor, especially on the defensive end, but when it comes to Hampton as well, you do have a guy in Russell Dean doing a good job out there in the backcourt with right around 13 points per game. Shooting in the low 30s from three-point range overall. Hampton is shooting 27.5% for three, 69% the free throw line, but they do a better job of being able to take care of the ball. I think that you're going to be able to see someone in D'Angelo Epps be able to take off for this team. He's been a little bit up and down for this team, but you wind up seeing him in a game against Norfolk State in that HBCU challenge. Wind up having double figures. I think that they're going to rely upon him for a couple more minutes. I think that he's going to be able to 
help out the duo of Garvin and Dean. We have seen Hampton play relatively slow this season, and we've got a William & Mary team that they're just inefficient in general, but I did wind up saying the total at 141 just because both of these teams have played better competition, and I do think that you wind up getting late felling in this spot. So William & Mary is a three-point favorite, so take it forward with Hampton, and with my total at 141, taking a look at the over. 306 Fordham is going to be playing us at LIU Brooklyn. LIU Brooklyn is a five-point dog. Your total on this game is 139.5. Fordham has really pumped up their tempo this year. Both of these teams, as a matter of fact, rank in the top 60 with regards to possessions per game, so I do think that you're going to see a higher total because you got a Long Island team. I think that they're going to be a little bit more efficient in this spot. You take a look at who they played in the non-conference, and they have been playing quite a murderer's row, so I do think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue, but with that said, when you take a look at this Fordham team, what I like for them is that they did wind up bringing in quite a bit of talent via the transfer portal, Darius Quinzenberry, along with Antonio Day Jr. Our pair of guys that are out there in the backcourt have been able to combine for 35 points per game, Day Jr., right around three assists per game. Now, Day is not necessarily shooting it well from three-point range. Quinzenberry, more like 34% from three. Overall, it's a team that is shooting 31% from distance, but you've got Chuba Ohm sound low. 14 points, 11.9 rebounds per game, and two blocks, so I think that he's going to be able to control things down low for this team. You take a look at what you're able to get outside that, and you've been able to get right around nine points per game out of Antrell Charlton. Charlton has come into the fold shooting 37% from three-point range. That's been able to give Fordham some nice stability. LIU, I don't think he's going to be able to match up with Ohms down low, but you do have Isaac Conte, a guy that wound up averaging a double-double last season while he was at Hofstra, Earl Penn, along with Ty Flowers. They're both giving you 14.4 points per game. They're combining for about 11.5 boards and three blocks per game, both of these guys combined to shoot about 34% for three for an LIU team that they only shoot 69% on the line, 29% for three, and the big issue for them, 17 turnovers per game. Fordham, they're generating seven and a half seals per game. They're not great, but they're not terrible. I think that both teams are going to be looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. I think that both teams are going to be able to get some good looks, so I did wind up saying this total at 152. Take a look at the over, and with Fordham, I think that they dominate down low, set them as an eight and a half point favorite, so I'm willing to lay the points. 306-097, Pittsburgh is going to be playing host to Colgate. This isn't very often, but a Patriot League team on the road is favored against an ACC school as you're finding the toothpaste a two and a half point favorite and your total is a 138. It's gotten so bad that I wound up setting Pittsburgh as a three and a half point underdog to Minty Fresh Colgate. I mean, this is just a really sad state of affairs for Pittsburgh. They are without a whole bunch of pieces, and the guys that are out there right now. Let's just call what it is. They're not necessarily doing a great job now. John Hughley down low. He's been able to give you 15 and a half points, seven and a half boards. He's been able to do a nice job at the forward spot, but this is a bunch that they're shooting 30% from three, 62.5% the free throw line, with 14 and a half turnovers per game while playing relatively slow. Femi Olakala has been able to give you right around 12 points. Points, four boards, three and a half assists per game, but turns the ball over three and a half times per game. Mohamed Gay is someone that winds up coming in from Stony Brook. Four, five and a half points, six boards. He's been able to give the team 1.3 blocks per game, but once again, hasn't necessarily been too efficient. I was expecting more of Jamarius Burton. You can tell that he's injured. He's given the team only about eight and a half points per game. This is a far cry from what we wound up seeing from him a few years ago at Wichita State. And then you've got Nelly Cummings over there at Colgate, giving you 17 and a half points per game, shooting 55% from three, 91% of the free throw line. Colgate overall, shooting 40% per three, only about 11 turnovers per game, making 75% of their free throws. You've got down low a guy in Keegan Records that's able to give you 8.6 boards per game. Ryan Moffitt has been self in the shed sheet with right around 10 points, five boards. He's giving you a seal per game. And as a matter of fact, each out of Colgate's top five scores are all giving you at least a seal per game. That includes Mr. Jack Ferguson, who's giving you 12 points per game, shooting 37% from three. Colgate has a lot of firepower. Pittsburgh is all sorts of banged up with guys like Nanky Sabandi and company out of the fold. So, so Colgate is a three and a half point favorite. Pittsburgh has really been able to slow get down games. Their 
defense hasn't been bad. Their offense has been terrible. Set the sold on 136, diving under, and I'm laying it here with the toothpaste. 306, 099, 306-100. You've got Mississippi Valley State playing host of Nichols. Nichols is a 19-point road favorite, and your total odds game is 140. I mean, this is absolutely hilarious that you're fighting Nichols as a 19-point road favorite, but I think it's justified. I set them as a 21.5-point favorite. You take a look at this Nichols team, and they've been relatively solid at being able to generate turnovers. In three of the last four years, they rank at the top 15 in all of college basketball with regards to seals per game. This is headlined by this year, Mr. Ty Gordon, who's been able to give you 17 points, three and a half boards, only shooting about 31% from three. Nichols as a collective, only shooting 63% of the line, 34% from three-point range, but guy that has been able to come through and give you some production, Latrell Jones. He winds up coming in from Portland. He's been able to give you 11 points per game, shooting 37% from three. You also wind up bringing in for Norfolk State, Devontae Carter. Why was that Norfolk State led an NCAA tournament team in points, rebounds, and assists so far this year? 11 points, four boards, three assists, so it's been a nice stat sheet stuffer for this team. You've also been able to get right around seven and a half points and seven boards out of Emmanuel Littles as well, and then you take a look at Mississippi Valley State. This is the least efficient offense that I've seen in quite a while. 15 and after an hour spring, they're shooting 66% free throw line, 26% from three. You don't have a single guy in the roster shooting at least 30% from three-point range. That is just sad. Your top rebounder right now is Mr. Robert Carpenter. He winds up coming in from St. Bonaventure, where he was an afterthought. He's been able to give the team 16 points, five and a half boards, and you've also got the son of Lindsey Hunter, Caleb Hunter, and Lindsey Hunter is the coach of this team. Why he is, I have no idea, but he's been able to give the team 11 and a half points per game, and it's just really a sad state of affairs. Aside from those two guys, you don't have a single guy giving you more than six and a half points per game. Nichols, I think, is going to plunge in Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State, I think, is going to be playing the Ole style. I think they're, they're going to turn the ball over a lot. Nichols is going to be able to get a bunch of run-out layups, so set this total at a 143 and a half as a result. I'm going to be taking the over, and Nichols made them a 21 and a half point favorite, so willing to lay a 19 here. And we wrap things up with 306-101-306-102. Gonzaga is going to be playing us a Merrimack. Merrimack is a 29 and a half point underdog, and your total on this game is 143. Now, if you recall, the last time Gonzaga wound up playing a team that was a mid-major that played a herky-jerky style, that would be their game against Tarleton State. They were tied with about 10 minutes left in that one. Now, I don't think similar results are going to be happening, but I think it could take Gonzaga a few minutes to be able to figure out Merrimack. When they do wind up figuring them out, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of explosiveness, but I can only make Gonzaga 27-point favorite. Here at 29 and a half, I'm going to be taking a look at the Merry Men. You've got Jordan Minor is going to be a major part of Merrimack's game plan. 14 points, six and a half boards, two steals, two and a half blocks per game. We've got a Merrimack team that they only shoot 31% for three, but they do make 73% of the free throws. They generate 10 steals per game. Each of their top five scores, at least 1.3 steals per game. You've got Michael Deering being able to give you eight and a half points per game. He's shooting 46% from three-point range. Mikey Watkins is able to give you three assists per game as well. Ziggy Reed has been able to contribute with right around six points, four boards per game. Now with Gonzaga, I do think that Andrew Nemar does wind up committing a few turnovers early in this one. He's been committing right around two and a half per contest, but I think he'll rein it in after that. He's been able to give the team Nine points, five assists per game. Gonzaga, they're not necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooting team. They're shooting about 34% for three. Now, Julian Strother has really been their top sharpshooter along with Rajir Bolton. These two guys combined to shoot 44% for three. They're combining for about 25.5 points per game. Strother, seven boards per game. And then you've obviously got Drew Timmy along Chad Holmgren. They're combining for 31.5 points, 13.5 boards. They're going to dominate down low and with Holmgren. Four blocks per game. I believe that that leads off college basketball. But I do think that Merrimack is going to be able to provide a speed bump early on in this game. 
to Gonzaga. So as a result, did want to make this total 143. I think that Gonzaga is going to be able to figure out Merrimack, but I did think that Merrimack in the early going is going to be a little bit of a thorn in the side of Gonzaga. So could only make Gonzaga 27 here. So taking the 29 and a half with Merrimack. And that will wrap things up for the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Soups. Now a part of the VEASAN family podcast. Big thanks to Greg Waddell of Sleepers Media along with the Field of 68 for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Internet. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'm going to be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 